Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is uh, Professor Guglielmo Aglietti. Uh, he's the director of the Curry Space Center at the University of Curry in England. So, uh, Professor Guglielmo, how are you doing? Hello, very well, thank you. Yourself? <laughs> good, good. And uh, no one can say that our topic isn't definitely future tech-based because uh, it looks like you're working with uh, testing uh, how spacecraft can clean up space debris. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about uh, your research? Oh, well, this is, uh, we believe, an important topic because in the past uh, decades, a lot of satellites have been put in orbit. Uh, some of them stopped working. Uh, plus, there is, uh, you know, other uh, debris orbiting there. For example, uh, stuff uh, released from the, uh, you know, mirror space station in the old days and so on. So there is a, a, a need to uh, try to clean up maybe a bit some of this uh, debris in order to be able to continue to operate with new satellites safely. Hmm. What kind of debris is in space, like whole satellites or just fragments of metal or plastic or what kind of stuff? There is a variety of things, and what you said is exactly correct. So some of this debris is a large satellite, a few tons, uh, the size of a bus that uh, no longer works because it's an old satellite. And then on the smaller side of the scale, there are little fragments like, you know, a flake of paint because uh, some of the, you know, the, the old satellites started maybe to fragment. Uh, there have been collisions uh, between uh, pieces of debris. So there is a, a, a large variety of objects, let's say, from very small to very large. But what they have all uh, in common is that they are orbiting around the Earth very fast. And if they collide with a new satellite, they could easily destroy it. Right. Well, uh, how fast is the debris moving in space? Well, uh, on, on a lower orbit, we are talking about, you know, uh, seven kilometers per second, that wow. kind of speed. So, indeed, very fast. And uh, so, even the smallest debris, like the size of a flake of paint or, or like, a, a, you know, a, a nut or a boat, you know, if uh, it hits a, a new satellite, could uh, destroy it. Yeah. So, um, and to get a sense, how much space debris is there? Is there tons of it? Or are we on early We are talking, yeah, we are talking about, you know, a uh, few thousand tons because, uh, again, if you think that is six years that we put in orbit, you know, satellites, uh, so there are, you know, a, a few thousand satellites, so there is, a, you know, a, a considerable amount of the big currently orbiting around the Earth. Okay, all right. Um, so what, what kind of mechanisms are we using right now to get the space debris? Are we just leaving it alone? And what mechanisms would you yes. propose? Yes, uh, uh, up, up, up to uh, now, well, let's say recently, there have been guidelines issued by the, the various organizations. So whenever you put in orbit a new satellite, you are supposed to deorbit it within 25 years. And the various things that you can do is, is either uh, reduce the height of the orbit so that the satellite eventually burns 
uh, into the atmosphere, and, and so you get rid of the satellite in this way, or you could uh, uh, increase the orbit and put it in orbits that are called like uh, graveyard orbits, so they are orbits where you don't disturb anybody else. However, uh, some of the old satellites have been put say, in orbit before all these guidelines you know, came into place and so on. So currently, we are facing with uh, a, a large amount of debris that has been left there from activities that took place maybe you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So you know, now we try to be a bit more responsible, if you want. But we are still, we still have a heritage of the past, you know, decades to to, to address. So how would we clear up the uh, space debris? I mean, in space things are different. Can you magnetically attract stuff, or can you make a net to catch stuff? What do you do? Yes. What what we think is that the best policy is to try to remove some of the large pieces of debris that are in orbit that are. Uh, relatively busy, so the debris that they pose, you know, a higher threat. Uh, to go around and try to clean, you know, all the bits and pieces, all the fragments and so on, it is unfeasible, you know, with current technology. So the best thing is to try to see which one are the largest pieces of debris uh, that pose, you know, the biggest threat and remove those. The, the logic, because you want to do that, is that if one of these large pieces of debris collide with another one, they can produce a lot of smaller debris, and then you have like a cascade effect that is called, you know, Kessler syndrome. Mm. I don't know if you have heard from the name of the NASA scientist that came out in this theory. But in practice, you could have uh, again like a chain reaction. So you have two pieces of debris that collide, produce several more debris that in turn collide with other debris, and uh, eventually what this could produce is it could you know, pollute, let's say, a whole orbit with debris and, and make it unusable. So clearly, you want to avoid this scenario. So what do you do? What's your recommendation? Or what are you trying to uh, exactly. So, exactly. So we, the, the, the idea is that we have to remove some of these largest pieces of debris. How you can do it, there are various different ways. Uh, and what we have tried to do is to uh, demonstrate technologies that, in our opinion, are very cost-effective. So, let's say cheap technologies, and, and so we have uh, we we are going to demonstrate a net, for example, and a harpoon that can be used to, to capture these debris. Our logic for uh, going after a let's say a cost-effective or, or a cheap methodology is that more or less, I think we all agree that is a good idea to go there and start to remove some of these pieces of debris. The only issue is that, not the only issue, but one of the let's say, most important issues is going to be the cost. Because if to remove the pieces of debris is going to be extremely expensive, then you, uh, you know, um, um, I would say that probably there will be you know, other priorities and it will be difficult to find you know, the finances to put together such a mission. So, in our opinion, if we manage to do this in a cost-effective manner, it's much more likely to happen than if it is going to be very expensive. So, there are other uh, centers, for example, other people that are studying uh, different methodologies. For example, you could capture a piece of debris with a robotic arm, for example. Uh, there are, you know, various ways, or like a lasso. Uh, but again, the, our center... 
uh, has always been focused toward you know, cost-effective space application. Uh, and so we thought that uh, a harpoon or, or a net, although they might be relatively primitive solution, they could be able to do the job in a more cost-effective way than some more complex technologies. And that's why they are going to demonstrate this. What's um can you deflect pieces from a certain orbit out into space? I mean, what other things have you thought of? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. You, you, you could. There are again, I said, you know, uh, various things that you could try to do. The problem is, is the risk, let's say, associated with all these maneuvers, the, the complexity of the missions that you have to, uh, to, to put together. So, uh, in our opinion. One of the, the simpler options is, for example, to go capture a, a piece of debris, and once you have captured this piece of debris, you deorbit together your mother spacecraft, let's say, with a piece of debris that has been captured. If you want, it's a bit like a kamikaze mission, where you, you capture something and then you deorbit together. But clearly, there have been other people thinking that, for example, as you go and capture, you know, a first piece of debris, then you can go and capture another, and another, and another, and then maybe you deorbit all these pieces together, which of course is, you know, in theory, you know, is feasible. But then you have the issue that to go from one piece of debris to another one, and to another one, you need, for example, a lot of propellant, and the mission becomes much more complex. So perhaps it is easier just to go and capture, you know, one debris at the time, with a dedicated, you know, ship mission that simply goes, capture that piece of debris, and deorbit it. And then you have another mission to go and capture another piece of debris. So as you can see, there are a lot of sort of different things that you could try to do, but everything will boil down, in my opinion, as you know, the cost and the benefit. So how much are we going to reduce the risk for the new satellite, and how much this is going to cost? Well, also true, if you're in a given orbit, you'd probably be going the same speed as the debris, right? Seven kilometers a second, or would you be going... Yes, 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 but because, the, yes, but, you know, once you have captured one piece of debris, then maybe the next piece of debris is in another orbit, or maybe is far ahead or far behind you. So you need a significant amount of propellant to modify, you know, your speed and so on in order to go and capture the next piece of debris. That's well, how did you use... Yeah, how could you use um, gravity and your momentum? I mean, when you're in orbit, you're essentially falling the entire time, right? Well, yes, but you 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 have to get there first. You see what I mean? Right, you right, have right, to right. in orbit with an appropriate you know speed, and then you keep orbiting around. If the orbit is relatively low, what happens is that there is still a little bit of atmosphere left, so your orbit gets uh, uh, you know it gets lower and lower until finally you burn into the atmosphere. So what you can try to do is, again, capture a piece of debris and then slow down your orbit until you burn into the atmosphere. But if your orbit is relatively high and there is no drag, then you stay in orbit for hundreds and hundreds of years, thousand years. Yeah, so right. you can't really count on the effect of you know, air to slow you, slow you down and eventually burn yourself right in the atmosphere. So how would you be more efficient? What if you started in a very high orbit and then used just enough propellant to slow yourself down to drop lower, drop yes. lower, drop lower, until yes. you fall out yourself? Yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. That is another possibility. When you have, you know, when you put in orbit a new satellite, you simply keep enough fuel so that when you are 
sort of toward the end of your useful life, you start to decelerate yourself using your own propellant. Definitely, this is another is another possibility. So there are really various uh, various ways in which uh, you know the, the problem can be tackled. So indeed, you can carry on board more 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 propellant. So at the end of your useful life, you do orbit yourself with your own propellant, or you go in a higher orbit where you don't disturb anyone, because there are certain orbits that are not really used, those are called the graveyard orbits, so you can park your satellite there, and it's left there for posterity. So, um, it's weird to picture, it's like a series of, of currents, I guess, you know, circular currents that have different speeds and different widths and all that. How, um, what does an orbit uh, look like? Like, how, how wide, how high is it? You know, how, how much... Yeah, it's, it's like, if you are in a, in a, what we call, you know, a low Earth orbit, to orbit around Earth takes about, you know, one hour and a half, and you are at an altitude of, you know, a few hundred kilometers. Maybe, you know, you could be as low as, you know, three, four hundred kilometers, for example. So that is the orbit where we will be doing, you know, our experiments. But on the other hand, you could be on a much higher orbit. For example, you could be, uh, you know, in what is called a geostationary orbit. And in that case, to turn around the Earth, it takes exactly one day. So because turning around the Earth takes one day, and the Earth is also spinning around you, if your orbit is in the same direction as the direction of the Earth, then your satellite looks as if it is fixed in the sky. So a lot of the satellites that are used, for example, for TV broadcasting and so on, are these satellites which are in geostationary orbit. So in practice, they look as if they are you know, fixed in the sky, you know, above the equator. In reality, they are turning around the Earth as the Earth spins, but because we are going at the same sort of speed, then they look like if they are always, you know, stationary above you. And that orbit is about, you know, 36,000 kilometers, so, you know, much higher. In that kind of orbit, you have clearly no residual atmosphere, so if you put something in a geostationary orbit, it is going to be there for a very long time. But I guess you could slow it down with a little bit of propellant, and now it, then yes. it would start to fall lower, right? Yeah, or, or, or the best thing, if you are in that orbit, is to go a bit further out, and then go in a, maybe in a higher orbit that is not really maybe utilized, because from a geostationary orbit, to then slow down down to you know the, the atmosphere and burn into the atmosphere, it takes a lot of propellant, and so maybe you don't want to do that, because it will be you know very, very costly. Can you speed up? And go to uh, you know a lower orbit or a higher orbit, or is that harder to do than yes, no, no, of course, yes, yes, yeah, no, no, of course, you can do all these manoeuvres. Maneuvers. The, the the problem is that in order to do all these maneuvres, you have to bring with you your extra propellant, right. and and that is extra cost. And, and so whoever you know operates the satellite clearly puts you know enough propellant to be able to last you know for the life of the satellite doing maneuvers in order to maintain you know the correct attitude and so on. And you want to have to use, you know, as little propellant as possible to then, you know, deorbit your satellite at the end of the life. So you have to try to find a way that you can do this, you know, safe disposal of your satellite in a way that, uh, you know, it costs you as little propellant as possible. How much, yeah. um, you know, for things in all orbits, how much of it falls out of the sky naturally? It, it slows down and it falls to lower and lower orbits on oh, Mars. Listen, yeah, listen, all, all, all the satellites that are on in low Earth orbits, 
uh, you know, let's say below the 600, 800 kilometers, you know, in a few years, they uh, drop down and burn into the atmosphere. And in most cases, everything burns into the atmosphere, so there is no problem, let's say, to the general public and so on. Every now and then, maybe there is a part of the satellite, or recently there has been, you know, the Chinese uh, space station that mm-hmm. is orbiting and burning the atmosphere. So the problem is that if your structure has got certain parts that are relatively chunky bits of metal, maybe they don't burn completely through the atmosphere, and mm-hmm. so they could pose, you know, a risk uh, for the population. So it would always be better to try to deorbit things, you know, over the ocean and so on, because then even if some even if something doesn't burn through the atmosphere as it should, even if it goes through the atmosphere and lands you know, on Earth, if it lands in the middle of the ocean, then the probability that it's going to hit a, a person or that it's going to do some damage is relatively low. So we, we are trying, you know, when we deorbit on purpose, a uh, satellite and so on, we try to do it in a way that this happens over an ocean. Mm-hmm. Okay. But again, in other cases, you have maybe no control because some of the old satellites or, or maybe, you know, rockets that put in orbit satellites are built in stages. So you have the last stage that often is left in orbit. Some of these you don't have control anymore. So they simple they simply deorbit sort of naturally after a certain number of years. You do not have a lot of control, but usually they burn completely through the atmosphere. So you don't have any problem. But again, does, does the space around Earth naturally clean itself over time because everything kind of slowly falls into lower orbit? Yes, exactly. But you can count on this effect only for the very low Earth orbit. When you are talking about you know, higher orbit, like your stationary orbit, the one that is used for a lot of the telecom satellites and so on, you cannot count on that effect. The satellites there in orbit for a very, very long time, and that's where you have to think about, you know, doing something. Uh, let's say for, for all the satellites that are in orbit higher than, say, the 800 kilometers, you can't really uh, rely on the drag of the atmosphere for burning the satellite and therefore, you know, cleaning, cleaning uh, the, the environment, you know. Uh, you can do that on a very low orbit, so that's okay. But if the orbit is a bit higher, then you have to you start to have this problem that the drug produced by the the high atmosphere is no longer there because there is really no more atmosphere when you are at you know a few hundred kilometers altitude you know at several hundred kilometer altitude so you can't count on that and you are left with these pieces of debris orbiting around and the risk for a new satellite which is uh, what concerns us because as you know now we rely so much on satellite technologies for a lot of different things, you know, SATNAV, uh, watching TV, <laughs> so, so many things that clearly, uh, you know, to, to have your new satellite being hit by a piece of debris and maybe destroyed is, is, is not something that you want to happen. <laughs> well, for satellites in higher orbits, how long would it take them to fall into the into the Earth? Oh, yeah, no, no, it is in a high orbit. It, it, it's not going to happen. It will take really a very long, I mean, you are talking about maybe hundreds and hundreds of years. No, so it's not really something that you can uh, consider, okay? So it is only for the lower orbit that is a viable option to use, you know, to, to wait for the residual atmosphere to slow down the satellite so that it burns. But if you have a satellite in a high orbit, you are talking about in you know, thousands of years, 
also is, uh, is, is well, not viable to wait for that. You have to have some uh, active methodology to sort the problem out. And this can be, you know, the satellite itself having enough propellant so at the end of its useful life with its own propeller, either the orbit itself or goes to park itself into a graveyard orbit, or you design a mission that goes there, grab the satellite, and then does whatever, you know, either put the satellite in a graveyard orbit or the orbit of the satellite, which is what we are trying to do. Do we have, I mean, I would think that over time we would have naturally attracted items into our outer orbits, right? Well, there is, uh, listen, there, there are uh, bits and pieces orbiting, you know, around every now and then there are, you know, micrometeorites as well hitting the ground. So, is uh, yeah, there is, uh, if you want, a, a little amount of natural uh, bits orbiting around, the natural pollution, you could call it, but... Uh, the problem now is that our activities in space, you know, are so significant that the number of debris has always increased. And so the problem now is that what we want to really avoid is what I mentioned before, you know, this Kessler effect where you have, you know, pieces of debris gliding and then producing other, other debris and so on. So you have this, you know, snowball effect. Uh, we have to prevent that to happen, so we have to make sure that we maintain the density of debris you know, er around Earth uh, as small as possible. And, and clearly now we are still in a situation where we can uh, prevent you know, the density of debris to be so high to trigger this tester effect, but we don't want to leave the situation for much longer because otherwise we could go in, in, in that direction. Okay, so it's important that we start to act now. So on one hand, we are already doing that because there are these guidelines that I mentioned before that all satellites, you have to try to dispose, dispose of them you know, within 25 years. Uh, so that is one way. But still we are left with the problem of the old satellites and pieces of debris and so on. Mm, okay. So what's the best way to go about this for now? <laughs> you know... Uh, Again, in our opinion, you have to try to convince the big, uh, let's say, space agency government to, to do something about that. Because in my opinion, is a bit, you know, there is a similarity with what happened, you know, with the ocean, for example. Maybe until, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, people would simply throw, you know, rubbish in the ocean because the sea is big, there is no problem and so on. Now we all know that there is a lot of rubbish in the ocean, you know, plastic and so on. And so we have got to do something about that. But clearly, who is paying for it? <laughs> so that is the main problem, because we are all agree that, oh, yes, we should do something in order to remove, I don't know, the plastic from the ocean and things like that. But the problem is, again, who is going to pay? Because you could say, well, the people that have polluted the ocean should be the one that clean it. And clearly, that would be a good approach. Or, or, or you could also say, well, the people that, you know, use it also should help, you know, clean it up. So, similarly, when you think about, you know, uh, space, uh, when you say, okay, it's time to maybe think about, you know, the uh, orbiting some of this stuff, cleaning it up, and so who is going to pay? And then you could say, well, maybe some of the people that put in orbit spacecraft, uh, you know, should start thinking about that. Similarly, maybe the people who now, you know, operate satellites and so on, also they have an interest 
including the space environment, because they want to operate their satellites safely, so they offer an interest. So I think to me the problem now is to gather enough momentum so that there will be various interested parties that are willing to start to sponsor missions that go there and start to remove some of this debris. Uh, and what I was saying before, that to me, whether or not this will happen, it will depend a lot on the cost. And so if we show, like, like our mission is trying to show that you can do that at a, with a relatively small budget. A relatively small budget is, again, in relative terms. Because if you think about our mission, which is just a demonstration, so we release our own pieces of debris and we capture them. So it's, a, it's a, just a small-scale demonstration of technologies. And our mission, at the end of the day, costs about 15 million euros, okay, one five million, and has been sponsored by the European Commission, plus all our partners. We are about 10 partners that have put together this mission. Uh, so let's say half of the money comes from the European Commission, the other half comes from the partners, but in terms of, you know, space missions, 15 million is, is still a relatively low budget. Right. So we want to try to, to demonstrate that, you know, also with relatively small budget, you can deploy some of these technologies like the net or the harpoon or, or fail to try to burn the debris. Well, what's the... Uh the downside, if we don't do anything, what, what will the consequences be? Yeah, you know, the, the consequences really are, are the, uh, the danger for the new mission. You know, you put in orbit a, a new satellite for telecommunications or whatever. Maybe this new satellite costs, you know, a few hundred uh, millions, and clearly you want this satellite to last for maybe, you know, 10, 20 years. If this satellite is hit by one of these species of debris, then, you know, it, it might be lost straight away. So, uh, clearly, you know, th this is the problem. We have to protect our space infrastructure, and we want to keep using space. So we want to keep putting in orbit, you know, new satellites and so on. And in order to do that, we need a relatively clean environment where the spacecraft, the, the, you know, the functioning spacecraft do not really risk to be hit by these, you know, pieces of debris. Because if, uh, you know, again, every time uh, a part of this uh, space infrastructure, let's say, fail, you could have serious consequences on Earth, okay? If it is a satellite for, let's say, you know, television broadcasting, then maybe the consequences for the people that are watching the television. <laughs> but if, right, you right. About, you know, uh, if you think about, you know, applications like the GPS, now you use the GPS, you know, in your car, but also for much more, you know, sophisticated applications. So think if the GPS signal goes down, I think that we will have, you know, serious problems around the earth. So this is just, you know, an example of some of the, you know, the applications of, of, of satellites today. So maybe the, uh, yeah, maybe the thing is, you know, in order to launch a new satellite, you have to pay extra in order to clean up the equivalent amount of space debris, you know? That could be exactly that could be a possible solution. The, the problem is that, as you know, there are various countries, you know, uh, Russia, uh, the U.S., uh, China, right. India, and, and so we have to build some consensus in the space community that we are going to follow these rules. Yeah. Because if it is only one country that does it, then people would go, you know, in the other country and try to launch, you know, from the other country. So the problem with space 
is that it is not just a problem from, for one nation, I don't know, the U.S. or China or Russia. It is everybody's problem. And so when we think about a solution, we have to get together and everybody has to agree on what the solution is going to be and uh, make sure that they do their part because uh, you know, otherwise it, it, doesn't, you know, it doesn't work if on one hand someone goes there and tries to remove some of the debris and someone else keeps putting debris in orbit. Uh, right. I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, for example, there was an experiment made by the Chinese where they demonstrated that they could uh, keep a satellite in orbit uh, with a missile uh, from the Earth's surface. They, they launched this missile and they destroyed the satellite in orbit. Destroying the satellite in orbit produced a lot of debris and from my point of view, it was not really a wise thing to do because it really created a dramatic increase in the debris population. Clearly, in that case, you know, the Chinese authority, they wanted to show that they had this kind of capability. You know, sometimes there is posturing, you know, between nations, they want to show things like that. But, for example, this is the kind of things that should be avoided. And uh, so all the nations should really agree that we are trying to minimize you know, the, the, the debris that they are going to be produced you know, further on, but every nation has to make an effort in that direction. Because otherwise, if, for example, if we are the only one that are willing to uh, enforce you know, the current regulations where we say you know, every satellite has to be deorbited within 25 years, we do that. But, for example, another nation doesn't commercially they would have an advantage because, for example, their satellites do not have to carry you know, the extra fuel that is necessary to the orbit you know, the satellite at the end of life. So in order, in order to maintain you know, a, plain, uh, you know, a, a plain field for, for, for everybody, you know, we all have to agree certain rules and every country, every space agency then should do its best to try to enforce these rules. Mm. I think, again, you know, I really think that, you know, space is really, again, like a shared resource. So, again, like the ocean, I'm sorry if I get back to this example, but also like, you know, polluting the ocean. We all have to agree that we shouldn't pollute and so on, because otherwise, you know, you cleaning on one side is not really effective if someone else keeps throwing, you know, rubbish in the sea. So, you really have to, to, to come out with, with, a, with a global, with a solution where everybody agrees what is the best to do. Because also, at the end of the day, is we all are in danger. It's not that it's only uh, the satellite of a certain country that are in, uh, you know, in a risky position with respect to space debris. It's everybody's interest to, to maintain you know, the space environment clean. So it shouldn't be too hard to converge onto, a, you know, onto some solutions where everybody agrees and everybody's trying to enforce them. Gotcha. Well, so what's the best way for uh, people to get in touch to ask questions and you know, propose ideas and collaborate with you? Well, listen, we, we you know, our, our website has got, you know, the, the details of our mission. So if you look at our space, website, you know, the Surrey Space Center at the University of Surrey, people can get in touch with us if they have uh, good ideas. But I tell you, you know, in the past, let's say, 20, 30 years, people have tried different things. So... You know, one should have a look about the, the ideas that have been already, uh, you know, considered. 
but uh, you, know, you, can, you, you don't know anyone could have really a particular <laughs> brilliant idea, so we are always open to, to talk to people and, uh, and, and, and see, as a university, our uh, purpose is really to investigate new ideas, try new ideas, and so on. So, for example, with our Remove the Brain mission, we are leading a consortium, but in this consortium, then there are also industrial partners, uh, and so on. So, if this mission then uh, is proved new successful, what we expect is that uh, our industrial partners then, they could build a business out of, you know, going to space and uh, clean uh, space debris. But as a research institution for us, what is important is this, you know, uh, the, the generation of new ideas, maybe again thinking a bit, you know, outside the box. Mm. Gotcha. Well, very good. So, uh, Professor, look, uh, tell me the website just so we have it. On the podcast? <laughs> I forgot because I never is well, it will be, uh, I, I, you know what, I always Google it and so it comes okay. up. I never type the, 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 the website in the address. So if you type, you know, Surrey Space Center, University of Surrey, there it comes. I, I don't know what is the, it is www.surreyspacecenter or, or there are dots in between. I, every time I simply Google it, Surrey Space Center, sorry, it pops up. You can't gotcha. find <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. If it works for you, then uh, chances are it'll work for everyone else. So that's great. <laughs> well, very good. Well, Professor Guglielmo, thank you for coming on the podcast, and I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Listen, if, you are, if there is any other, if any other person wants to interact today, when you put the team together, feel free to let me talk. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.